Hello and welcome to the Odin's Light podcast. Today I'm talking with Benjamin Simons, feature film composer, on breaking into the industry. He's got some great tips on improving your skills and how to network and working with directors. Don't forget to subscribe and let me know if you have any thoughts, questions or requests for the podcast. Message me on Twitter at Gillen underscore Williams. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the Odin's Light podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. First question I want to ask you is, how are you not a voiceover artist because you have the smoothest deep voice I have ever heard? That's a very good question and one I ask myself every day. The answer is, um, I don't know. There is no answer because my, probably because I'm not very good at reading, um, I struggle to if you gave me a script and I had to read it, I would find that hard to keep up with the words because I was diagnosed dyslexic from a young age. Although I, you wouldn't know it because I've learnt my way through it, I find reading out loud at a you know, good pace quite difficult. So that might be one of the reasons. Other than that, I just don't know how to begin even trying to. But at least I've got Twitch and a podcast and I can still have my voice heard, you know? You can. Uh, I, I was going to ask you about the podcast later, but let's, uh, let's bring it up now. So you have a new podcast that you and your partner um, uh-huh. are doing. Tell us about that. We went into it with some skepticism and with some, like a bit of wariness because podcasting, there's a lot of them now, right? There's, everyone's doing a podcast. It seems like, you know, the cool thing to do. And we didn't want to jump on a podcast bandwagon. So we sat down and spoke about it because we knew we wanted to do one because we thought it would be fun. We spent a lot of time trying to work out what would be a niche or something that we don't think somebody else is doing and something that's relevant to both of our experiences. So we landed on this idea of um, calling it a creative truth and that we would make a podcast that would tell the true stories of what it's actually like being a creative, working in the creative industry, starting from growing up and, and realizing you had some kind of creative itch, whatever that might be, and then how you develop that into making that either your job or something that you are proactively pursuing um, to try and give some insight to up and coming or aspiring creatives across any industry, some actual information about what it's actually like to try and do it. Not the, the typical stuff you hear, which tends to be a bit glossy and a bit, mm. you know, like the Instagram of it, you know, like it's not like that. It's actually very hard and it takes a lot of work. And we wanted to try and get that across in a, in a truthful way for people to, have a better picture of it so true like follow your passion isn't enough <laughs> there's that's that's such a small part of it exactly and that's why we thought it would be something that we hadn't seen but also something that we felt like could actually add value to not only people who are maybe young and thinking about what their passion is and, and wanting to try it but also just for everybody who does anything in the creative industry to be like, oh man, I'm, I'm not alone at, you know, in, mm. in the struggles. And even the people that maybe we have on the show that are seemingly, you know, in inverted commas, successful, they don't necessarily think that about themselves. And actually, it might not even be the reality of it. It's actually what you see online and what you see or think someone's doing may not be as good or as, you know, as glorified as you build it up in your head. Mm. So it's called A Creative Truth. Where can you listen to it? It's on everywhere. Um, everywhere that anyone would listen to a podcast, you just search for a creative truth and it's there. You could even say 
Alexa, play a Creative Truth podcast. Alexa's listening to me now, so she might start. She might start playing it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeez. one of the other. Alexa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Actually, I met you before, Hoax, because uh, Ben and I used to live in the same village in Oxfordshire, which is where Richard Oakes also lives. Uh, mm-hmm. The three of us were in this uh, little village called Cholsey, which we've dubbed Cholsey Wood because of the surprising amount of filmmakers in such a small space. Yep. Um, right yeah. Uh, but you wrote the score for Hosts. Uh, the mm-hmm. listeners can download that. It's out on the second, is that right? Yep, same as the release date of the film in the US. Okay, and how, where, where can they do that? Um, it's available for pre-order, depending on when you listen to this, on iTunes up until the second. And then from the second, it will be on every music streaming service that is available. So, you know, your Spotify's, your Apple Music, iTunes, Deezer, I don't know, Napster. I don't know where people listen to music outside of the big ones, but it's on them all. Okay, awesome. Awesome. There we go. Well, listeners, go and check it out because it is outstanding. Uh, and I'm very pleased that Ben was able to get it out as his own release. I but, hope you enjoy Dread. <laughs> yes, you need to be a fan of that. <laughs> uh, but you didn't start as a film composer, right? No, I did not. Um, my early in- entry into music was metal, heavy metal. So uh, from secondary school, I went to like many, the Campery, the, the Campery, the Academy of Contemporary Music, which is actually where Richard went. As yeah, well. I didn't know. You, you went to the same college that Richard did. We went to the same music college at different times. I studied guitar for a year. Um, and then I met a few friends who were starting a band and went along to jam and then joined the band. They hadn't done a gig or written any songs yet. Um, we called it Malefice, and that was the only band I've ever been in. And we went from playing in our drummer's parents' um, garage to playing at a few like local schools, you know, on a weekend to ending up playing Download Festival three times, you know, touring the world, releasing albums, doing all that as a heavy metal guitarist and songwriter. And then there's a, at one point along the way, because I was doing all the writing, I ended up getting Logic on the Mac mm. so that I could start recording my demos um, for for recording later. And then I realized that they had these really, really terrible MIDI string samples. And I'd always loved film score anyway. So I thought to myself, well, <clears throat> why don't I just dabble with writing some of that? Because I liked, and I wanted to add some of those the string sounds to the, to the band songs anyway. And just fell in love with it. Um, I found it, you know, after 10 years of writing very aggressive music, I started to find that whole the whole thing a bit linear in the sense of it's not there's not a lot of wiggle room with what you can convey emotionally in in that genre. Mm. Uh, and I love that with strings and orchestral music, I could really I could write a music that sounded angry and aggressive, but it wasn't necessarily aggressive. But I could also write very soft and very emotional music, and I had a lot of that to get out. <clears throat> and then things just started to started to build on their own from that point on. And I was writing music for years just because I wanted to and just posting things on SoundCloud. And then our friend Patrick Ryder gave me my first job. Um, I did it for free, obviously, um, writing music for a short film called Shift, um, which was a like a seven or eight minute film 
with a guy basically dancing around London. And he didn't record the film to any music in advance. So that my first job as a, as a composer was to try and write music to a guy dancing and try and convince the audience that he had danced to the music that I'd written. <laughs> does, uh, that, does that make sense? It does. Was it a challenge? It was horrible, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, slowly but surely, you know, it, it's a very much so a very slowly but surely process. Um, went full-time at the beginning of the year, and then I don't want to talk about the pandemic, but here we are yeah. waiting for the next things to happen. Did you meet Richard through Patrick or did you meet Richard in Chelsea? Well, actually, I introduced Richard to Patrick. Um, ah. So I met Richard through the band. He, I don't know the exact moment. I, I don't know. We'd known of each other. He'd worked with some bands that I knew. And then he worked on with Malefice filming us at a festival. And we just got chatting and started hanging out. Um, then he did Exit Plan, the first film that he ever made which you were oh of course that's when yeah because we met before I, I totally forgotten about that of course yeah but you were involved in that as well yeah and I was the only person that he knew that wrote music that was cinematic so he was like do you want to do the score I was like yeah sure no worries um and then we just started hanging out from then I got my first award for that film nice. um and then I introduced Richard to Patrick because he was I just felt like he would benefit from having a DOP or someone that you know, was able to capture things in a different way and allow Patrick to focus on other things. Mm. Um, and we've always tried to have that relationship where if we can give someone a leg up or an introduction to someone that will eventually benefit both of us, then we will. Um, and that's one of the only reasons I think, well, one of the main reasons that we've both independently grown is because we always give each other a leg up when we can. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good point. Uh, being a community that works together is definitely the way to go. Yeah. And especially when you're, you know, there's, there is no competition between us. We do entirely different jobs. And if I can, if I've, if I'm working with someone and I can introduce that person to Richard and then Richard starts working with them and then he goes on to work with somebody else because they've recommended him. And then he's like, Hey, have you got a composer? And that's happened before I've through my introductions, Pat, um, Rich has met someone, met someone new and started working with them. And then he's brought me on, that project as a composer. Um, and that's happened a few times. And we just sort of always funneling back towards each other. And it's, yeah, it's a, if you can find people like that in a different sector than you are, then that is the way to, to grow for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think in the film industry, people employ people, not brands. Um, so a, a personal recommendation is always going to go much further than trying to you know, get yourself out there or via social media as a sort of a, a, by branding yourself. It's about developing relationships and, and doing the same for others. And that is also a lot more important than being the best at what you do. Um, I'm, I'm not a technically proficient composer. There are people who are better than me, you know, technically. Mm. Um, but that's not really what anything is measured on. I measure my work on how well it fits and how well it suits the film that it's written for. And I think the thing that makes me, me is that I have an innate thing that I'm able to tap into what I think the sound of a film should be. So when you listen to the host score, I don't think you could ever imagine there being another score for it, because I think that's, that's what the film should sound like. Does that make sense? It does. Is that how you approach your projects? Do you, does the project tell you what 
the score should be. I think so. That's always my first port of call is to try and work out what I think the film needs to sound like. And sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes you try something and it doesn't work. But it's it's normally quite straightforward. I knew with hosts that it was going to be two different elements to it. It was going to be the sound of the hosts and the sound of the family. I knew that I wanted the family to sound quite organic and kind of pure, even though they're not exactly the purest of people, mm. but they are innocent in their own way, even if they're guilty in others. Um, so I wanted them to sound very organic and human. So there's a lot more sort of emotional sort of pianos and strings and things like that playing over when stuff is happening with the family. But the hosts, I wanted to make them sound not alien, but I wanted them to sound unhuman in every way. So it's very... The, the instrumentation behind them don't sound like normal instruments. They sound contorted and, and nasty sounding and generally unpleasant, which kind of is what they are, I guess. And that's that was the approach. And I was like, well, if I can find those those kinds of sounds and I'll make a template to start with. So I have all the instruments that I think I'm going to need throughout the whole film in terms of that will be the palette of colors, if you will, in terms of these. Are, this is what I'm going to use to make this happen. Mm. And then I start writing with all those sounds. I can't write, so like if I'm going to write the whole score, I can't just be like, oh, I'll just write it on piano and then move it all over to the, the right instruments. I have to have the sounds because I'm inspired by the tools that I'm working with. So if I'm writing uh, a piece of music with the sounds that I want, then it comes so much more naturally to me because I can I can sort of he hear it coming to life in real life. Would you say that the way that you're approaching the the score is it's you're not just trying to elicit a feeling from the audience for for a scene based on what the director uh, wants the audience to experience, but also you're using it as a, as a way to tell the narrative musically. Yeah, I think so. I think not 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 too overtly. I think I try and. Um, elevate what you're seeing but not try to dominate it in any way but then there's also lots of times where um how i perceive a scene and how it was written and maybe intended is qu is quite different um and there's been quite a few conversations over the years between rich and i about what we think the the mood of a piece of music should actually be um and now he we don't really talk too much about that in advance and he'll just let me do whatever I think is instinctively the way to go. Um, because if you, if, if I just do what I'm told all the time, then you'll get exactly what you've asked for. Mm. But I don't know if that's necessarily what's best for the project. And my job technically is, is as an employee, technically is to deliver what's asked of me. But if I'm going to do my job well, it's more important that I am trusted to do what I instinctively feel is right to start with. And then if it needs tweaking or changing to, to make those changes if necessary. But if you don't have the opportunity to do what feels natural, then you might not end up with something being as good as it possibly could have been. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the difference between employing someone as a technician um, and an artist. True. You know, if you hire a, <clears throat> an onset sound guy to record your dialogue, if he doesn't do a good job and then he's fucked it up, basically you know yeah. um i don't know if you're swearing on this but that is yeah the, yeah it's fine yeah that's the only way of putting it isn't it there's only one way to do that job well is to get the audio sounding good there may be other, you know, many ways to do that and achieve that but ultimately it has to meet the standard that's necessary for, for it to be film quality whereas you could watch any scene from a film and interpret 
some of those emotional cues differently. You know, what's actually happening versus what's the subcontext of what's happening it can be very different things. And you're trying to work out what the what the thing is that you want to lean into and bring out musically. That's always the the challenge. That's interesting. So it's you're not just giving a superficial sort of feeling to the scene, but you I guess you'd work with the director to figure out what what it is that you're trying to pull out through the score uh, to supplement what they're seeing on screen, but it could be the subplot that they're pulling out rather than the overt. A lot of the times you might, you might be actually scoring it from the point of view of a character as opposed to, you know, if it's a really horrific moment happening and there's, you know, something very horrible happening to someone, then you want to kind of lean in on what the audience is going to feel at that moment. Mm-hmm. But if it's a more intimate moment where maybe a loved one is dying in the arms of somebody else, then yeah, it's sad, but it's sad because that person is feeling sad. Do you know what I mean? Not because I want you to feel sad. I'm trying to make you feel what she is also feeling or he is also feeling. That's interesting. So the perspective changes. Yes. Yeah, all the time. So that's why sometimes when there have been scenes in the past where the overall scene is tense, but is the character tense or is the character um, concerned or distraught because they might not get somewhere they need to be on time to, you know, to escape something from happening or their wife is going to go without them. Um, there's a really key moment that that conversation happened in, in Exit Plan, actually, was when, um, if you haven't seen Exit Plan, it's on YouTube, by the way, if you want to go check it out, just type in Exit Plan. Fantastic um, <laughs> score, by the way. <laughs> so there's a moment in that near the beginning when she, uh, he's talking to his wife, who's sort of in the main city, and there's a ship that's going to be taking her and a bunch of other people off the planet because the planet is essentially you know, dead, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote something quite emotional for that scene because, you know, he might not ever see his wife again because he might not be able to get there. But he saw it as being tense and I wrote it emotional and we spent a lot of time talking about the right way to go. And I also think there's, like, you know when you, if you, if you watch a film or you're editing a film and you put some placeholder music in there for a temporary measure, so you, so you know what the vibe's going to be, yeah. you, get so, you get so attached to that and that vibe that if you hear something else, you're like, well, that's wrong. But actually, if you take a few moments and you come back to it the next day or you know, whenever, suddenly you're like, oh, actually, do you know what? That's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you need to let go of your attachments of, not all the time, you know, people, people are often right. But there, there is an attachment to what you think something might be that isn't necessarily what is the best for something. That brings up a point that keeps uh, that I keep coming back to through talking with other people is that you have to make the decision that's best for the film, not yourself. You, you, you're constantly killing your ego. Yeah, and that's what I'm only ever trying to do with any any film that I'm working on. Is I'm not I don't often write music for for stuff that is going to make people think that I'm amazing. I write exactly what I think is necessary. It's never overcomplicated. It's never trying to show off. It's always just trying to serve the film to enhance the film as much as possible. If I can work with people that want to do that with me, then that's obviously the best situation for me, which is why I love working with Rich and you guys, because you guys trust me inherently to to do what needs to be done to mm. make the film better, because you know that that's what I'm there to do. But they also provide you with good feedback as well. I think and that's important, rather than giving you just a, a blank slate but you've, you've been given some creative guidelines. And I find that really hard, actually, when I'm not given anything. Mm. Um, if I'm just left entirely to my own devices, then I find that really hard because <clears throat> as a creative, especially one that works on their own, who's usually last 
to do anything with a film. You know, everyone suffers with the not so much imposter syndrome, but there's no one to reassure you that you're actually doing a good job. And you need someone just to be like, yeah, you're on the right track, keep going. And if you don't get that, then it, it can be quite difficult to, to persevere with because you don't know if you're just wasting energy writing something that is ultimately not going to be used, you know? Yeah, so negative feedback can be as encouraging as good if it, as long as it's guiding you in a, in a productive direction. Yeah, any feedback. So my favorite situation is to write, you know, five minutes of a film or, you know, or a couple of cues, or like a couple of bits of music, send it off, see what they think. And if they're happy, move on. If they're not, make some tweaks and then move on. Because I don't, I don't want to rush ahead. I want to work with you all the way through it to make sure that, you know, we're doing it right because it's, it's a collaborative effort at the end of the day. Yes, yes, it is. How do you approach a project? I mean, you're given the, you know, the, the, um, the edits. Do you, how do you immerse yourself into it? Is it discussions with a director? Do you watch it on your own first to get an idea of what you think you want to bring to the discussion? How, how do you do that? I think it varies. For the most part, you're right in the sense that I get delivered an edit. There have been occasions where um, I'm, I'm starting to think about it from a script or even from a conversation. You know, I, the film's not even been made yet <clears throat> and we're just talking about what the film's going to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's actually happening now with Rich, you know, talking about what we might be doing next and that's, that always starts to get creative juices flowing and I might write, I've, I've actually I have written a little demo just to send over and be like, are we all on the right lines with this? And he's like, and you realize what we're doing, then I know then going into that, when we get there, it might not be exactly that, but it will be in that ballpark at least. Right. Right. I always like to do that to start with. So <clears throat> normally I'll watch the film and then I won't start scoring straight away. I normally will do a demo of some kind, um, which is just a, Let's see if my in, my instinct here is guiding me the right way. I write a track using the sounds and the sort of themes and things like that that I think might be the way I want to go with it. Mm -hmm. um, might be only two or three minutes, and it might be kind of messy. It might have a whole different bunch of sections in there with different theme ideas and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then send it off and be like, right, so this is what I'm thinking. Like, where are you at with this? What are your thoughts? And if they love it, then I'm golden, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good, good to go. And it's normally very easy from then because they've already, to a large extent, especially if it's a new person I'm working with, they then trust me implicitly. You know, they might have beforehand, they've employed me based on work that I've done before. They're handing over, a, you know, a decent sum of money up front to get me started. And then if I just start writing the film, they might have to wait quite a while before they hear anything whilst I get started. But if I just deliver a demo, like this is what I think I'm going to do, like something like this. And they're like, oh my God, you've got the sound of my film. Like, I love it. Like, let's, let's go, like start writing. Then they know they've made a good investment for one going in. And then everyone just feels a lot more comfortable and at ease, I think, because they know what they're going to get in some way. Do you ever find, uh, or do you sometimes find it hard to express what you and the director want the audience to feel? <laughs> I don't think so. I think like if I had to write a list of things that make me good at my job, actually writing really good music isn't one of them. Like honestly, like I can write well, you know, I, I can, I can tap into the, the emotional needs of a film and you know, I, I, I'm all right, you know, I'm, pr I'm pretty good. Yeah. But, but the one thing that I would list about above anything else is that 
I can see and hear what needs to be done. So I understand what the film needs musically, and I can tap in to finding the right music for it. But more importantly than the actual music itself is, I, I can make the, the, the film's score sound exactly how that film should sound. In every film I go into, I start with a new palette, a new set of sounds. I always try and use as many different things as possible so that every film I ever do has an entirely independent sounding score that you couldn't put the host score in any other film I've done and you couldn't put the Invasion Planet Earth score I, I did on any other film because they they only work with that one film. And that's, I think, is my my main primary thing that I'm doing. I, I find the sound of the film. Yeah, well, doing what's best for the film. Mm, exactly. But while also just trying to be interesting you know trying to trying to not it's easy just to be like right well i'm doing a film score so i just open up all my violins and cellos and basses and brass and percussion and off we go cinematic score like that's not the way to go for me Mm. like i'm i'm more interested in what like what am i going to do that's going to give this its own stamp that's unique qualities that you're not going to get anywhere else that's what i'm trying to find but only trying to find those sounds that work within the world that we're trying to create. I think that could be a part of the recipe of your success. You're not just doing it sort of like a rote job where, like you say, you just sort of get into a routine where to pull out these samples and then here we go. You're, you're doing each project for on its own merits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want, and I, and I apply that to everything that I'm working on, regardless of, you know, how much I might enjoy what I'm working on or, there is nothing that's going to stop me from doing the best I can. Do you know what I mean? Because everything that I do is a reflection on me. I could I could write very overly complicated music that, that highlights me in a way that's unnecessary. Yeah. You know? Whereas, yes, I do. So you're not trying to get the get the score into the face of the uh, the audience. Unless, yeah. it's, unless it's a scene where you know it's, it's sort of a quiet, like there's a, there's a climax yeah. or whatever. It's like the equivalent of me like shredding on a guitar for 20 minutes in, a, in the middle of a song. You know what I mean? I don't, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm more about the core of it. Like, let's write some decent music that fits this film, not have a joyride and make it all about me. Hmm. So if we rewind a bit, mm-hmm. so you started writing some scores on, on the tour bus uh, when you were in Malefice. Yeah. Uh, how did Patrick find you? I don't even know. Like, bear in mind, this was like maybe 2006 or something like that. I, I don't know how we ended up connecting on Facebook. I feel like somebody introduced me to them. Hmm. Um, I think it was, I don't remember her name. She, there was a, a, a lady who worked with us who was a producer um, like, and she worked with a, one of the directors that shot one of our last music videos, um, which was a song called Awaken the Tides. Oh, her name's Layla, right? Her name's Layla. Okay. And she went on to start doing, um, like producing films and I'd been grinding away, you know, composing and posting stuff online and all that kind of stuff. And I think I just maybe messaged her cause I'd seen that she was starting to make the leap into films and was like, I'm doing, you know, film score stuff now, I guess. Like if there's any opportunities, I'd love to hear about them, you know, let me know kind of thing. And I sent her some stuff and then she introduced me to Patrick. I'm almost certain that's how it happened. 
And then that led on to me doing like seven or eight of Patrick's short films. And thanks to that, ended up getting my first feature two, year, two years ago-ish now, I guess it is. Mm. Something like that. And that was the first moment where I sort of realized that there may be an opportunity to do this as a job. Because up until that point, there was lots of moments where I was thinking about stopping and accepting the fact that maybe it's just not going to happen for me and mm. going back into full-time employment, but just for some reason kept persevering nonetheless. And then actually it happened when we were shooting hosts because I was still working full-time when we, when we started hosts. And do you remember I got made redundant? I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like second week into filming and was just like, well, I guess this is, this is the moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's often the case where you know you're, you're sort of you're unsure about when to take the dive, and then the decision's taken away from you. It's like either you do this full time or you've got to go and find another job. <laughs> exactly, and it's not like I'm basking in the in the riches of being a composer now. It's still very much a struggle, um, but I feel like you know, host is coming out soon, and I'm couldn't be more confident about how well that film's going to do. And the whole point of it as well is that the people involved in that film are, are all people that are fantastic. Mm. And that the idea is if this film does well, then hopefully everyone will be doing better off the back of it, including myself and you and everyone else who was involved because we made that film for very little, but with lots of love. And that's going to get noticed. And I think that, the work that we all did on that film is above and beyond the price tag, you know? Yes. I think for, for me, I think what I believe that the reason I believe in the success or the potential success of hosts um, is that everybody was focused on the story, the deeper narrative, the characters, you know, rather than the superficial elements, which can often happen that there was everybody was paying more attention to the core issues um, and I think you included uh, in regards to the school and I think that that's one of the reasons why host stands out it, it does have it was not a jump scare film but it does have some um, I don't want to spoil it but intense moments um, yeah. where you know the, and the camera doesn't look away and it's you know it's, it's horror in all its glory but that's just that's just the icing on the cake um, yeah. the I think that the people that were involved were working on the film in a, and like you say, they were giving it their love, not just turning up and just churning out something by routine. Yeah, absolutely. And bear in mind, I was employed as a composer, but I was there every day, yeah. you know, blacking out windows, like converting skateboards into rigs so that we could wheel people on a chair. You know, I was hands on seven, 12 hours a day, sorry, um, every day that was needed of me because I wanted to be as involved as possible because that's what I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to yeah, make yeah. films and be involved in making films. And what I love about it is that I know for a fact that Adam and Rich are going to go on to do some insane stuff down the line. Yeah. And I'm going to have the pleasure of being there, you know, with them all on the, on the journey, you know, kicking and screaming, they'll have to take me. So <laughs> whether they like it or not. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I put my everything into that for them. I went above and beyond the call of duty 
both you know in terms of being on set and then a lot of additional work on an audio front post the score being done because I did what needed to be done you know because yeah. that's what it's all about um I think a lot of the crew did that, doing multiple roles and on one of the reshoots. So I was producing, production, managing, and doing the catering. And <laughs> I, don't know, was about five, I think I counted five roles I was doing um, on that reshoot because it was such a tight weekend um, and the budget was so tight. And that's, that's what you've got to do. Um, and, you know, Richard Nader, I mean, everybody was wearing multiple hats. And often that can then lead to a substandard project. You know, there are loads of examples of when somebody would get possessive and try and wear all the hats. But that's, yeah. that's not what happened here. People were wearing hats because they just wanted to make sure that what needed to get done got done to the best of the team's ability. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, I love the whole experience of it and would do it again in a heartbeat. I love hopping between departments. One second I'm trying to fill a balloon with blood and the next second I'm... <laughs> I don't even know, helping brush hair or something, you know, trying to find something that's gone missing. And it was just the most fun ever, wasn't it? It was. Oh, and uh, testing a, a harness. That's as much as I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. testing a harness. Yes, yeah. that was, I did that. Very uncomfortable it was. The reason I was asking these questions about how you got into it is because on social, you see so many people trying to break into film as composers. It seems, I, I don't know, it, it surprised me that it seems to be the role that uh, most people are interested in doing, that acting and directing. Yeah. Now, I don't know if there's enough space for all the composers out there because the competition's fierce and there's only so many films. But mm -hmm. from what I can tell, it's about ha having relationships with people rather than bombarding people with messages. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really difficult one, actually. I, I struggled a lot when I was starting out too, because I didn't have a a big number of contacts and I still don't have a huge number of contacts in terms of people that will give me work on a repeat basis. And especially now that we're dealing in features and the turnarounds on those are, you know, years potentially before mm. they end up being ready for someone like me. And there are a lot of composers and I was one of them. And I think you see a lot of opportunities out there. You know, you might see a post on Facebook or on some forum looking for a composer. And to start with, I'd, you know, I would always try and, you know, get involved with those. But eventually I just realized that it's just not worth it. Like, if, mm. that, if the person you're trying to get in contact with doesn't know who you are, doesn't know your music, then you're just a you know, another one of those people that does that job. Like it's not, there's no connection for them to you to want to put time into listening to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's no easy feat. And I couldn't tell you how it's done, but you just need to try and find someone that you think is going to go on and hopefully do some good things. It might not be anytime soon. It might take them 10 years. Like it's taken Rich and I, since well 2005 2006 when we started talking about exit plan just right. to get to the point where we have our first feature coming out together but you know we've all known from the start that we think those guys are going to go on and do great things it was just a matter of when and if you can find a a student filmmaker coming out of you know university or you know has a, a student project coming up that you can get involved with you know just for free to start with you know just get something out there and that's the way to do it weirdly i got a fair amount of opportunities to start with 
directly from SoundCloud, um, which right. was interesting. So I put a lot of time into con- consistently writing. And that's one thing I'd always say to, to a composer is that, you know, if you want someone to hire you for composing, then you're going to have to have music that people can listen to, for one. So you're going to need to put a lot of time in writing music constantly, constantly improving, constantly evolving, pushing yourself to try slightly different genres, different moods, um, you know, different worlds even. Like, you know, write something that you think would be good for the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie or write something that you think would be great for the next Nolan film or the next Marvel thing that's going to come out. You know, always be challenging yourself to think like, right, what if I was to try and write music that would fit this cinematic world or this franchise? Um, And just keep updating your um, SoundCloud. And it's really important that you have actual track names. It's not just like mm, Epic Score 1.2 with some random picture of it and it's just your profile picture. You know, put some time and effort into marketing yourself on your SoundCloud so that you have album art and you have imaginatively titled names that would make people want to click on it. Mm. Um, And then if you're consistent with that and you have a lot of music, you will start to get listens. And I started getting approached to write um, production music. Um, And if you don't know what production music is, it's music written for the purpose of being used in TV trailers, um, advertising, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's not commercial music. It's not like you're going to, you know, sync with the, you know, try and lease a NSYNC song or boy zone track or something. I don't know why I've gone for boy bands, but that's where I'm at. Um, <laughs> it's music that's not commercially available, but is written exclusively for the use of for licensing on TV and media, basically. Right. Um, and I started writing albums of music for those guys. Um, and then it will, that will transition over time and you'll find opportunities that way. But there is unfortunately no shortcut unless you have an in with someone. Um, and it's competitive, so you need to be doing more, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And it's tough now as well because networking is incredibly hard. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough time. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's why it's um, <clears throat> incredibly important that if an opportunity arises, that you make sure you leave that person never being able to use anybody else ever again. Like that's the only option we have because there's so many of us that if you don't do a good enough job, there's someone else that will for cheaper or for nothing. Um, so you need to be on the case, whatever the product is that you get has to be the best you've done every single time. Otherwise there's someone else that can do it. A while ago, we were talking about film scores and how they've changed over time. It used to be that there would be a hook, um, like the James Bond theme tune or any film sort of from the 80s and 90s. But mm-hmm. that's, that's changed now. You don't really get that melody that's the, the track for that film. Why, why is that? Hans Zimmer, probably. Um, basically. <laughs> right. I think there's always going to be a cyclical nature to film score where at one point it was like that and everything was very thematic and very grand and very orchestral. And then someone will come along and do something very different, um, like um, the first Batman movie that came out um, that Hans Zimmer did that was um, not hugely thematic, but very bold in its themes. So 
it had thematic elements, but not in the traditional manner that we were used to hearing. Mm. So lots of percussion, lots of synthesizers, um, lots of very big brass um, and ostinatos, which are the the violin things that you hear quite a lot of now. Yes. Um, And then those films come out and they change everything. And now every film that's being made is using music from the Batman films as their temp music that they're editing to, and they want their composers to do stuff kind of like that. And then film changes, but then it comes back around again at some point. So thematic music is on the return. You are starting to see it more. Um, It never goes anywhere. It's still there, just not on a lot of the blockbuster stuff. Um, But it, it is coming back around again. And that, and that's just the nature of trends basically in music. What's your setup? Um, it's pretty basic really. Um, I have my iMac, um, with logic pro. Um, I have a very cheap, um, MIDI keyboard. I have an audio interface and I have some speakers. Um, I don't have much like physical hardware. I don't need it. Like I have my guitar and my bass and I have a synth. Um, but I don't have the luxury of being able to spend a lot of money on buying very expensive physical equipment. But so most of the stuff that I'm writing with is, is in my system already. So mm-hmm. I have, um, a two gigabyte external, um, SSD card that has, an extensive wealth of sample libraries and different sounds and all these different worlds of sound that I can explore to find the right sound for whatever I'm working on. Um, and that's, so a lot of my, my, you know, all my orchestral stuff and everything that I do is, is already in there and I can just play it on my keyboard um, and use a, like a MIDI controller here. I have a few faders that will control how how those players perform essentially mm. um and and that's pretty much it dude you know you don't need to have a lot of gear you know it's it's not a, not really about that my studio could be packed down and and fit into someone else's office quite easily you know i did that with rich at the end of post we had the last 20 minutes of film to score and i thought it'd be fun to do it with him so i packed up my whole studio moved it into his office and um and i just was there for a couple of weeks writing it i can I can take this anywhere that needs to be, that I need to go to, to write basically if I need to. So it's not about having all the gear and it's, and it seems to me like the barrier for entry is quite low in terms of the equipment at least. Yeah. And in terms of sample libraries too, I'm, I'm pretty strict with myself when it comes to that because there are so many great products out there with so many great sounds in that I would love to own, but I, will only ever buy something new if I feel like it's genuinely going to add value to what I'm about to work on, or if I feel like it fills a gap that I have, uh, you know, a distinct gap. Um, You know, you can get, um, you know, a great all-round orchestral sample library now for not a huge amount of money. Um, But I would always say to start small and, and to build over time, because if you just if you spend thousands of thousands on sample libraries and hardware, then you're going to be lost. Like how do you don't know where to start? Like there's so many options. Mm. Whereas I know all of the things that I have very well because I've been using most of them for a long time. And then I'm like, Oh, do you know what? I think I've got a bit of a gap here. I need to buy, um, like a Celtic harp for some pirate thing I'm working on. 
Um, so I'll just grab that because I know I don't have it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's the way to go, slowly but surely, developing as you go. Um, and a lot of the stuff I use aren't the best. You know, I still use a brass sample library that is, you know, relatively basic, but in context, it sounds fine. So I'm not too worried about it yet. You know, down the line, I'll upgrade things, but only when it's absolutely necessary. I was um, just doing an interview earlier. I forget the publication. and I don't have it open here. Um, but one of the points I was making in it was that, because they were asking where is horror going to go, um, or independent film, sorry, going to go in uh, the near future. And because the barrier to entry has become so low in terms of filmmaking equipment, um, and that's the same for composing as it is for, for kind of production. You, know, you, you can conceivably shoot on your mobile, mobile phones now if, you, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if, if the project allows. There's so much content coming out. The thing, and it, and it should always come back to this, is how good is the story? How good is the artistic element of the content that you're producing? That's got to be the number one focus. It's, it's not about what, what, what gear you've got. It's how, and, and you, you're talking about spending time actually composing. That's so important because those skills are the things that are going to get you on in the industry, not how many sample libraries you've got. True. And then that generally speaking means that let, let's say you are limited to shooting a film that you have an idea for on your phone. And then you end up in a position where and you do a great job with the tools that you have, right? You've mastered the, making the absolute best out of what you have. And then you have the ability then to upgrade your equipment to something better. You're going to be so good because the upgrade in technology and the quality that you now have is only going to enhance what you were doing in the first place because you've already got the fundamentals. So I didn't buy any sample libraries for like two years. And I was composing only with the absolutely dreadful stuff that was available in um, Logic for free. And then when I actually bought some sample libraries, I was like, oh shit, like, this sounds legit now, whereas before it was just, you know, I liked what I was writing, but it sounded terrible. And then all of a sudden it starts sounding like a real orchestra and you're like, shit, like I'm onto something here. Mm. And that's, that's what's important, isn't it? It's like you can hone your craft without having all the gear, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you do go to upgrade, you know precisely what it is that you need the gear to do rather than going, oh, well, this, this is the expensive and well-marketed product <laughs> or, you know, be it your computer or MIDI interface or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to go for the thing that will, the, the tool that's going to help you do your job better, knowing what it is that you need to get. That is exactly right. What's the best part of your job? Uh, there's a few things. I think <clears throat> I love writing music, obviously. Otherwise, it would be a pretty misstep in uh, career path for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the, the best part of it is, one, witnessing people reacting to the film, regardless of what my contribution to it is, but seeing people have a response to the work that we've created together. Um, and on the other side is then the music impacting people. So we were speaking about this yesterday, um, that as, a, as creatives, if you like what someone has done, then you should tell them that you like what they've done. Mm-hmm. Because we, the re- a lot of the reason we write music is because we want to share it, or the reason we write or make films is because we want people to see it, and we want people to experience it and, and feel it and, you know, have a moment with it, whether it's big or small, maybe it changes something, maybe 
it makes your day better. Maybe it, you know, helps you through something, you know, any of those things. That's why we do this in the first place. We don't. So when I say you should tell the person or tell the creator how what they have done has affected you positively or negatively, maybe it's not because we want our egos inflated It's because it's so important to us that the music or the music or whatever it is that we're making is actually being heard and is changing and, and people are experiencing it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's why we do it. And if you can reach out to a director or a author and be like, I read your book, I absolutely loved it. It really helped me through a thing or, you know, whatever it might be, that is, that means the world to us because it means it's taken on its own life. And that's, that's, that is what it's all about. That's, that's what it's about for me anyway. It's about impacting people in some way, big or small. Fantastic answer. Ben, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, well, working with you more and uh, listening to your, your scores on hopefully many films in the, in the future. Yeah, October the 2nd, buddy. Hosts, get it. Yeah, October the 2nd in uh, USA and Canada. They're doing a virtual cinema release um, and it's also coming out on some PVOD and then it'll be out on VOD and then DVD later on. Um, ooh, and then ooh. UK in um, early Q1 next year. Indeed, indeed. Well, it's been an absolute blast, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ben. All right, buddy. See you.